Hello and welcome to another episode of A Dash of Science. I'm your host, Chris. Each week I bring you a topic being discussed from the internet or media and attempt to discuss it in a reasonable, logical, and factual manner in hopes to get you, the listener, the right information so that you can learn new things and make more informed decisions. Usually I'll have a guest with me who is knowledgeable on the subject in an effort to ensure we are as accurate as possible. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Before we get started, I just wanted to mention a few things. Several people have suggested I do a show on vaccinations, flat earth, and climate change. Here's what I've come up with. These topics appeal to two different types of people. Those who believe vaccines are safe, the world is round, and climate change is real as separate issues. And those who don't. Those in the first group don't need to sit through 60 minutes of evidence they already know and agree with. The second group have already seen and dismissed the evidence. It's no longer an issue of facts for them, but deep down held beliefs that when challenged cause them to dig in more. I have no interest in pandering to people, nor speaking to brick walls. Because of this, at this time I've decided to not dedicate shows to these topics. This might change in the future, but that's the stance I have now. In other announcements, unfortunately I was not able to meet up with the guest I had scheduled to discuss net neutrality. Unfortunately, he had rolling brownouts in his area over the weekend. So I've done my best to give you an entertaining and informative show on my own. I apologize for the break in format, and I did my best to make sure it didn't seem like a lecture. Alright, let's get into the first segment where I discuss the basics of what net neutrality is and some of the terminologies. Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, Google's Alphabet Inc., and dozens of other major technology firms holding fast in their opposition to proposed changes by the FCC of net neutrality rules. The best way to understand net neutrality is to think of the Internet as a sort of congested superhighway. Net neutrality is important for everyone. And everybody, regardless of financial status, has access to the same information. Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai can roll back regulations meant to preserve net neutrality and open internet standards. He had to put his proposal up for public comment. Small, small one-woman shows like mine would be severely at risk. Nobody wants their ISP to control what they see or do online. In 2015, the Obama administration ruled those big companies cannot pay to dominate the fast lane. Here in the U.S., those rules With prevent internet service providers from slowing down, blocking, charging more for All right, stop. We've all heard it. Net neutrality. But what exactly is it? Some think that there's a group of corrupt politicians that want to get rid of net neutrality in a power grab. Some think it's a bunch of greedy corporations who want to take payoffs from big content providers for preferential treatment. Some think it's a horrible overstep by the government that is stifling small business innovation. From John Oliver to random YouTube users, everyone has their own opinion on what it is and what it isn't. What I've found is that most of these people on both sides either don't really know or gloss over the real arguments. In this episode, I will be talking about what neutrality is, the history of net neutrality and the FCC in the U.S., 
common terminology being thrown around without explanation and why it's important, and what the actual issues and sides are to this ongoing issue on our internet. So net neutrality, conceptually. It's simply the idea that all information should be treated equally on the internet by internet service providers, by the government, and any regulating authority. That sounds awesome, right? I can certainly see how if we're calling something net neutrality and there's two sides of it, one side is inherently good and for free and open internet and the other is, you know, corrupt or power hungry or looking to make money or something, right? If we just take it on that alone. So why is the concept of net neutrality so important? Here's what Steve Wozniak had to say about it in an interview with Tech Insider. I twice in my life flew to Washington, D.C. to be at a meeting where an important decision was coming down, and it was two rulings on net neutrality, and I was present in the audience, and that probably says enough about my own feelings. I'm also one of the founders of the EFF, and I always favor those who don't have money, the people who are attending our Comic-Con. I favor them over the people who have money and power and wealth, like big companies, be it Google, be it even Apple. I always favor the small one, and net neutrality kind of ensures the big guys will have a route in. Look who, look who our president's going to look, for, look to for advice. And the advice he's going to get is, let us, rule, let us rule the internet and let us have lower taxes. And that just fights against the little guy. We've got all sorts of different ideas on this. But essentially, when you keep the internet open, you put everybody on the same playing field. Everybody has access to data, and you don't give a one-up to somebody just because they're a large corporation and can pay your internet service provider a bunch of money to get a fast lane while everybody else is getting throttled down. The other side of it is when you have the ability to act as a gatekeeper to a service, you have the ability to strike out against competitors by throttling their support or by throttling their data. Uh, for instance, there's been cases of one internet service provider who completely blocked VoIP data from Google because they wanted to push their own phone service through traditional lines. So stuff like that is why we have the idea of net neutrality and why it's important. Some of the big questions that are really coming up here is not so much uh, is net neutrality good or bad? I don't think that that's an argument. I think wholeheartedly across the board, most people, the majority of everybody on both sides of the argument of what's going on today, agree that net neutrality, the open and free internet, and by free, I don't mean free to the public. You still have to pay your ISP for it. I just mean there's no additional costs to get exceptional uh, service from the content provider side right? One of the real questions that it comes down to is, is the internet a utility or is it a luxury? And honestly, that's a subjective thing to ask. There isn't really a, you know, it's not like a science question where there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. This depends 100% on what you, the individual, believes. So there's a lot of terms that are thrown around left or right uh, on this topic of neutrality. And I have come to find out that not a lot of people understand what they are. So, for instance, one of these things is Title II and Section 706. So what are they? 
Title II of the Communications Act of 1934. That's what they're referring to when they say Title II. Title II defines common carriers and sets down a list of over 100 rules that must be followed to ensure that they are acting in the public's best interest. As written, this applied to telecommunications and radio stations, essentially, because it was before the time of mobile carriers and internet providers. It was, you know, the 1930s. A common carrier is a private company that sells their service to everyone on the same terms versus businesses who determine who to serve and how much to charge on an individual basis. Essentially, when you come up to something and you say, this is a utility, this is something that everybody has the right to have an access to, then you say that the people that are providing that service are common carriers and they have to fall under this regulation so that they don't fall into things like uh, discrimination or overcharging for no reason or avoiding going into an area because it costs too much for them to get into that area. It's like phone service. Wherever you're at, you are entitled to have access to a phone. Not for free, but you have an entitlement and a right to have a phone line to your house. So, like I said, it covers things like discrimination and preferences, schedules of charges, liabilities for damages, and a whole list of other things that are required for telephone companies and, and radio uh, broadcasting companies. Uh, that's what a common carrier is. On the flip side, you have Section 706 of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. So, this is an advanced telecommunications incentives. Unlike Title II, which is several hundred pages long, Section 706 is only a few paragraphs long. A brief summary is, it's a generalized idea that federal and state commission should encourage reasonable advances consistent with the public interest by utilizing convenience, price cap regulations, regulatory forbearance, promote competition in local telecommunications markets, and remove barriers to investment. One part of the argument is, should broadband internet be considered under Title II and that service providers are a carrier? Or should it be covered under 706 with these brief light touch regulations? Or should it not be considered at all under these? Because right now the FCC has defined two separate types of uh, data information. You have telecommunication services like with your telephone, uh, which also covers uh, or originally covered internet through DSL. Uh, and then you have information service providers. And that was what uh, cable and mobile carrier internet has been covered under, which has far less, almost no regulations behind it. So that's kind of the basis of the argument that's going on there. I don't care about the state of art Everything I cared about is falling apart Don't want to hear about the new design I don't mind if I get left behind So we've talked about the basic idea of what net neutrality is and we've talked about some of the terms that get thrown around like Title II and Section 706 and Common Carrier but let's talk about a brief history of open internet and FCC rulings and how this has kind of all come about up to this point. In 2004, FCC promoted but did not regulate freedom. They came out with four basic points. The freedom to access content, the freedom to run applications, freedom to attach devices, 
and the freedom to obtain service plan information. Before 2004, there was little to no regulation going on. There were some attempts, but nothing that was really put in place at any point. And even these here, these aren't regulations. These are just the FCC says that they're going to promote these things. So at this point, when something is brought to the FCC's attention, they put in an investigation and they essentially uh, take it through court in order to make these companies stop doing whatever it is that they're doing that they feel are against these four ideals that the FCC has adopted. So this was challenged in 2005 investigation into Madison River Communications, who was blocking voice over IP traffic, but this particular case was settled before the investigation was concluded. They agreed to pay the FCC a certain amount and they would stop doing the blocking traffic. So unfortunately, because this was settled outside of court, it can't actually be used uh, in future cases for precedence, essentially. So in 2004 to 2005, we went through a period of deregulation. Until now, regulation was defined by hardware. Cable was information service, while DSL was telecommunication service. Now, all internet was information delivery and subject to very little regulation. This is what happened in 2004-2005 during the deregulation period. Between 2005 and 2010, FCC tried enforcing net neutrality on Comcast, who was blocking BitTorrent. Several attempts to pass law to prevent blocking of content had happened during this time frame, but it failed, and they are trying to push it through Congress. In 2010, FCC adopted a small set of rules to support open internet. Rule number one was transparency, consumers' right to basic performance characteristics and how their network is being managed. Now, rule number two was no blocking, no blocking of any lawful content apps, services, and connection of non-harmful devices to the network. Rule 3 was a level playing field. Consumers and innovators have a right to a level playing field. There is a ban on unreasonable content discrimination, and there was no pay for priority. Rule number 4 was network management. It allowed providers reasonable management and tiered data plans based on bandwidth. See, this is a common misconception about the ideas of net neutrality. People think if net neutrality is challenged, that they are going to have to individually pay their internet service providers more money for a higher bandwidth. However, that's what it is right now. If you want more data, you have to pay more money. That's a tiered uh, plan that is perfectly legal, and that's what we are doing right now. The idea behind getting rid of uh, net neutrality through these things is that internet service providers would charge content providers like Netflix or, say, Twitter more money to give them a priority access versus other places who aren't paying that will have their data throttled down. You as the user will have no control over this no matter how much money you pay your ISP. That's the argument. So the fifth rule is specifically related to mobile, and it's a transparency in the no blocking rules that they already came up with just applied to mobile carriers. And lastly, the sixth rule they came up with was vigilance, and it essentially allowed them to create an open internet advisory committee to monitor the state of the internet and effect of the rules. This happened until 2014. So up until this point, the FCC was able to protect an open internet without actually regulating anything. 
This stopped in 2014 because the D.C. District Court determined in a case in Verizon versus the FCC that the FCC has no authority to enforce network neutrality rules because internet service providers are not common carriers. FCC has very limited ability to regulate broadband, but cannot identify them as common carriers. So if you notice, we talked earlier about what a common carrier is and about how Title II applies to common carriers. So because of this, FCC was no longer allowed to pursue these investigations into companies that were violating their open internet principles because the carriers were not common carriers. So in 2015, the FCC voted to approve new net neutrality rules to legally protect open internet and apply common carrier status to the internet providers and internet as a telecommunications service rather than an information service. So this document is FCC 15-24, filed as Protecting and Promoting the Open Internet. The main idea is that an open internet is crucial and critical for the growth of commerce, communication, education, entertainment, and innovation. In evidence of the importance of these rules, which were adopted about four years previously but were not uh, voted on into a regulation, broadband providers had invested $212 billion dollars more than any other three-year period since 2002. The final draft was a result of roundtables and feedback from 4 million people. It was not an authoritarian decision. It was not a power grab by the FCC. This was a result of 4 million people coming in and talking to the FCC about what they want. ISP and mobile providers such as Verizon have openly admitted that if, there were not, if it were not for the changes of the 2010 rules, they would already be exploring agreements to charge certain content providers for priority service, and broadband providers are continuously trying to find way to block or degrade third-party applications. This happens every day now under the current rules that we have. So the new rules that the, that the FCC put into place, voted into place in 2015, were strong rules that protect consumers from past and future tactics that threaten the open internet, which defines three practices that record has shown overwhelmingly harm open internet. Those three practices are blocking, throttling, and paid prioritization. Blocking is essentially stopping traffic from a certain place or a certain type of data. Throttling is slowing that data down slower than the rest of the data that's coming through. And paid prioritization is when a content provider is paying the ISP to give them faster data access. No unreasonable interfaces or unreasonable disadvantages to consumer or edge providers is the second thing that these rules have enforced. ISPs are gatekeepers and giving them the ability to target competitors and extract tolls. The act of this mitigates the ability for the internet to grow. It called for enhanced transparency so that you as the customer have a right to see how your data is being managed. The scope applies to both fixed and mobile broadband internet access services. Enforcement allows the FCC to investigate, give guidance, and pursue court action against companies who are not following the guidance of open internet. It also promotes investment, 
by modifying the Title II to work for the 21st century, which was originally drafted in the 30s, remember. Sustainable Open Internet Rules essentially restates the past court cases that ruled in the FCC favor, creating precedents in open internet rules. This is followed by about 270 more pages of justification of why they should do this, followed by about another 100 pages of declaring broadband internet under common carrier. Remember, everything I just said is something that is discussed in this paper by the FCC. I am not stating this as necessarily fact. I am telling you that this is what this 2015 paperwork says. I don't care about the state of art Everything I care about is falling apart Don't want to hear about the new design I don't mind if I get left behind Hey, you're listening to my investigation into net neutrality. We just finished discussing the history of net neutrality in the FCC, which I realize can be a little dry but it's absolutely important to understanding where we are today and why. If you have ideas for future topics or guests, or maybe you have an expertise in a subject you think you'd enjoy discussing on the show, hit us up at facebook.com slash dash of science. Up next, we discuss some of the arguments on either side and summarize the actual issues in net neutrality. So we've talked about what net neutrality is conceptually. We've talked about the history of net neutrality and open internet up to 2015. Now we're going to talk about the current counter arguments and what's going on with basically people who are on the opposite side of net neutrality. First, I'll point out that most of them who are arguing against the FCC regulations are not actually arguing against net neutrality. They are arguing against considering internet service providers as a common carrier. They are arguing that Title II, which enforces over 100 rules on large and small internet service providers, is going to be a burden and is going to be a detriment and that it gives the government too much power over the internet. That is one of the common arguments from the side opposed to the current SEC regulations. They believe it gives too much power to the government. If the SEC has authority over the internet under Title II, that doesn't go away will be at the mercy of future, potentially less benevolent regulation. So it's not that they won't want an open and free internet, it's that they don't want the FCC in any way regulating the internet. Which brings us to a question, who should determine the content that should be freely available? Is it an open market? Is it the government? Is it some third party entity online? We don't have an answer to this. Next. It imposed the heavy-handed economic regulations on internet service providers, which include a lot of small businesses. It may disincentivize companies from expanding out into more area, especially into low-income urban and rural areas. According to Ajit Pai, he's a current chairman of the FCC, there has been significant evidence in a decrease of investment in infrastructure since the adoption of the rules in 2015, as much as a 5.6% drop amongst the top 12 largest ISPs. He is hoping for a light touch approach, which worked fine between the dawning of the internet and 2015. He says that the internet has been watched and it's been allowed to grow organically, and they took 
a targeted action against any anti-competitive conduct. The problem with this is, is this fails to consider that the D.C. Circuit Court decision in 2014 essentially made it impossible for the FCC to act in this way. It stated the FCC cannot regulate in any way uh, these ISPs. They cannot go after these content providers uh, because they're not common carriers and the FCC doesn't have any sort of uh, authority over them. So the fight over net neutrality is not really about the question, should all data be treated equally? It's about, should the internet be a utility or a luxury? Who should ensure an open and free internet, government or open market? Should ISPs be considered a common carrier? And this last one is the part that is the heaviest on the opposition side. Again, they're not arguing that there should be an open and free internet. They're arguing that ISPs should not fall under Title II because it gives the government too much power over the internet. And this is something that we really have to consider. In fact, it's something that I failed to consider until recently in doing research for this episode because I am a big, strong supporter of open and free internet. So the question is, do we hand the keys of the internet over to the FCC because today they're fighting for an open and free internet? What does this open up for us in the future? Are we going to get an internet kill switch someday like so many other countries? I don't know what the answer is. I do know that I definitely believe that currently the best way to keep a free and open internet is to allow the FCC to go after those people who are not doing that. But hopefully after listening to this, you have a better understanding of what net neutrality is and what the actual arguments are. There are actual small business people affected by the regulations from the FCC that feel like they shouldn't be. They have felt like they've been uh, kept from getting financial assistance to grow their companies. They feel like they're being unfairly regulated and forced to do things that's costing them money. And these are all things that we need to consider. So hopefully with this, you can make a more informed decision. Like I said, I'm still for an open and free internet, but I am also not necessarily for the FCC having such authority over our internet. I don't care about the state of art Everything I care about is falling apart Don't wanna hear about the new design I don't mind if I get left behind So that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I apologize again for our break of our regular format of always having a guest on the show. Unfortunately, there wasn't a whole lot I could do about that this week and make sure that I got out an episode in time for you. You'll notice that the show this week is uh, a little bit shorter. You know, it's hard to fill in 60 full minutes of just me talking at you and uh, (laughs) I'm not sure you'd appreciate that anyways. So if you'd like to support our show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash dash of science. We have several tier levels of support that you can check out. You can also look at us at facebook.com slash dash of science. And you can also get our discord account uh, server from Facebook 
and you can come join us in the chat. We also tend to live stream our recordings on Friday evenings usually, sometimes Saturdays, sometimes other times. You can always get the times. We give you a heads up on our Facebook page. You can check us out at twitch.tv slash physicistchris for those live recordings. All right, remember that it's easy to surround ourselves with people of like mind. And sometimes you need people that don't necessarily agree with you to get you to expand your mind, your horizons, and your ideas. You don't have to like everybody, and you don't have to agree with them. But the dangers of echo chambers are real as we see in social media today, so make sure you don't fall victim to it. I hope you all have a great and wonderful week. The music used in A Dash of Science is written and composed by Brad Sucks. If you liked his music, you can check him out at bradsucks.net, buy his album, support his music, and everything else that you can do. Thanks.